Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Well, welcome back. And um, we will start with some introductions. And as is our custom, we will um, go around the room and say our names. And uh, when I facilitate, I actually enjoy uh, hearing if somebody has a word or phrase that's been coming up from recently. If you would like to share that, please share that. And if you would like to pass, please just say pass, and I find that slows us down in between people and <coughs> kind of gives us a, I don't know, I, I keep thinking we'll put these all together and write a poem someday, <laughs> everyone was saying, so. Um, and I'll start, my name is Peter Dell, and returning. My name is also Peter, and um, stopping. Rich, Aranau, attention. My name is Michael Murphy, Burr. <laughs> My name is Gary Burr, slow down. My name is Tony Pospa, pass. My name is Barry Friedman, remember. Baruch Golden, pass. I'm George. Confession. Cass Grayson. Lincoln. <laughs> My name is Bill Brownies. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Marvin C. to be with you today to share the Dharma 
and some music and poetry. Um, I love, I love these things, and um, it's just wonderful to be here with you. So thank you for for your attention. Not knowing who I am, here you are. That's I appreciate it very much, and I hope that I offer something that that is of use to you this afternoon or this morning. Excuse me. So I do have songs and poems to sing with you and for you and share with you, but I want to call what I'm offering you today sitting on the edge of the well of darkness, fishing for fallen light with patience. <laughs> That's Pablo Neruda. Sitting on the edge of the well of darkness, fishing for fallen light with patience. When Howard invited me to come. He said, uh, Eve, tell us a little bit about what's learning yeah. <coughs> Which is, I think, a wonderful Appalachian expression about what is life teaching me? And um, in many ways, it's been teaching me the same thing over and over again for years, which is how do I find a way of light through difficult mind states? mind states like worry and fear and anxiety. And there's lots of, I do have a very blessed life, and there's lots of places and times of peace for me, but, but, but that's really an important learning for me, is when the mind goes into frightened places, the mind and the heart, what are some practices that will bring some light? And so that's, that's what I want to talk about and sing about with you today. So... I took my first Vipassana Buddhist mindfulness class in 1991 from James Beres over in Reeds Bay. And I walked in the doors and he said, sit down, close your eyes, and follow your breath, essentially. And I found following my breath to be both extremely difficult and when I did manage it, extremely boring. And I didn't... <coughs> Really, my mind didn't want to be there, didn't understand why on earth would spend time with this rising and falling when there's all these interesting things to think about. But 18 years later, I still walk into rooms and sit down and close my eyes and follow my breath. You know, why, why is that? When the breath is just so simple and so, so mundane, why would I still be doing it 18 years later? And my answer for that is, I still do it because it's a refuge. It's a place, almost always, not always, but almost always, the, the breath in the present moment is a place of emotional safety. It's a right here, right now, in this moment, with this simple breath, is an incredible harbor. So I have more to say about that, but I thought maybe it would be nice just to sing together right away. So let's, um, on your song sheet is a song called Breath. <coughs> Does everyone have one? There are extras also. And what I'll do is I'll sing it for you, and then I'll sing um, it in, in short phrases and have you repeat after me, and then we'll sing it all together and then we'll try it around. Mm -hmm. 
so much. So, um, so the following the breath and the present moment as a refuge. There's two ways that I see mindfulness of the present moment as a refuge, as a place of light when the mind is in difficult places. <coughs> One is that when the mind is busy it, what it, doing what it loves to do, which is ruminating on the past and thinking about the future and fantasizing about stories, making up stories, um, that's fine, except that the mind, in my experience, is like a dog in that it just has no shame. It will just go anywhere. <laughs> and it doesn't care if it's going into really dangerous territory. It doesn't mind taking the heart into some place that's going to hurt the heart very much. It likes to do that. That's what it, that's just what it does. So for me, if it's going into pain about the past, it'll just stay there for a long time. And so this coming back into the present is a, is a relief from that habit. And it makes, wor it makes working on following the breath worthwhile because that practice then makes being out in daily life, coming back into the present more accessible. We practice on the cushion and then we go out in life and we're able to come back in to the present. Oh, what's happening here? The other thing, the other, the second way in which being in the present moment I find to be a refuge is the more that I'm in it, the more interesting it is. It's quite astonishing, actually, this moment that we're in. It's simple. There's not a lot happening. Right now, in this particular moment, we're sitting here and I'm, I'm sharing some things with you that I've learned. It changes all the time, it's very dreamlike, and it's often very marvelous. Here is a poem from Mary Oliver called Mindful. Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It was what I was born for, to look to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but of the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. So the more that we're in the present moment, the things that maybe used to be mundane become quite miraculous. I often think of inanimate things as bodhisattvas because they don't ask for anything, but they offer so much, like, I, like the chairs and the cushions that we're sitting on right now. They're, they, they're here simply to serve us. And being in the present and feeling the sensation of the contact between us and this thing that we're sitting on can become a moment of gratitude. And that leads me to the second 
practice that I've found that is very helpful for tempering difficult mind states, and that's practice of gratitude. In Latin, the word gratias can be translated both as gratitude and as grace. One word, gratitude and grace. And St. Francis taught that the practice of gratitude opens us to the door of the grace that's continually flowing in. So mindfulness practice brings us here. Here we see how fan fantastic and strange this life really is. Ever-changing, very dreamlike and wonderful and the mundane becomes miraculous and then gratitude naturally arises. What's super cool about that is that brain research has shown that the more that we are in states of gratitude, the, the, the more our well-being increases. <clears throat> and gratitude isn't something that we need to just wait for, obviously. It's also a practice that can be cultivated, consciously cultivated. I've heard this for a while. I've heard it in some ways for years. And I've kind of dismissed it or minimized it as a sort of a hallmark thing, you know, like gratitude, <coughs> eh. You know, life is, life's got way more interesting or, or meaningful things to think about than that. But what I'm learning, or what's learning me, is that gratitude is really, really important. It's, it's, it's not a small thing. A, a cliche that's, that's actually a helpful metaphor for me is that idea of seeing the glass half full or the glass half empty. It's the same things going on but what I'm focusing, if what I'm focusing on is what's working, what's beautiful, what my mind is grateful for, it's not that I'm minimizing the difficult stuff. It's just that I'm balancing it. It's not that I'm saying the glass is all the way full to the top. It's just that I'm saying that it's half full, and I'm grateful for that. So in terms of practices that we can do that, that actually you know, consciously do. There's some, there's various things that people do. On retreats, I've been taught to list a hundred things I'm grateful for before I go to sleep. Just list them off. Some people list 10, but I know somebody who lists 10, but tries to do 10 different ones every night. Um, and I know also people who have gratitude buddies and just, they don't, they send an email every night and it's just a list of the things that they were grateful for that day. My sister does that and she says that it makes her see, go through the day noticing what she's grateful for so she can report it to her email buddy at night. And these practices, again, they sound a little trite maybe, but it can make that shift for states like anxiety and worry, pain and fear, even despair and agony. It can bring in a little shift that makes life possible sometimes. It's a big deal. I know a woman who knows a girl who was in foster care since she was a child. She was in 10 different families and experienced a lot of abuse. <coughs> when she was 18, she, she was put out, which is what happens to foster kids. You just kind of, at 18, that's it. You're on your own. And she was actually fairly happy, well-adjusted, and managing quite well, considering the life that she'd been through. She was asked, what happened to you such that you're doing so well 
here you are, you're 18 and you're, and you're having to be on your own and you're, and you're actually doing really well. And she said, when I was young, one of my foster mothers gave me a rock and she told me to put it in my pocket and count my blessings. <coughs> and so this girl just did that. She just kept the rock. It was a connection to this one foster mother and she kept it all through her childhood and her teenage years. And she would reach in her pocket and just sort of habitually think about what it, what, whatever it was on that day that was good. And she attributed that simple practice to her groundedness and her happiness at 18. So gratitude is worth cultivating and can bring well-being. There's another song on the same side of your song sheet called My Grateful Heart. <coughs> if you read music and or you and or you're a, and you do music by ear and you'd like to throw in harmonies on this, please do. George, would it be okay to switch on a light? Thank you. I'll sing it for you. My grateful heart, so filled with years of living, memories flow by me like petals on a stream. My grateful heart, besides the amazingness of things, is impermanence. How things come and go. Actually, I've got to interrupt myself to do one more little poem on the amazingness of things. This is E.E. <coughs> e. Cummings. 
E.E. E. Cummings, I thank you, God, for this most amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirit of trees and a blue true dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. So, um, so yes, all of this to be grateful for. But there's another thing going on that becomes really apparent, and that's impermanence. Everything's changing all the time. And that is wonderful and terrible. <laughs> it's wonderful because any difficult thing will pass. Someday we'll all be able to be married in this state. Any difficult thing will pass. It's terrible because everything we love will also pass. The Buddha had a, taught a prayer to his monks that in Eastern monasteries, many, many monks and nuns still chant, which is to, when the mind deeply knows impermanence, then it deeply knows the greatest happiness, which is peace. Because understanding that everything passes, we can endure difficulty in a new way, and we also don't cling to things quite as much, the things that we love quite as much, because we know that they will pass and the mind can know peace. So knowing impermanence, first of all, is that knowing that the difficult thing, that whatever difficult thing that I'm in, that you're in, that we're in, will pass. And sometimes, for me, just holding on to the faith that whatever the heck I'm in right now is going to pass is all I can do. That's the best I can do with impermanence, just knowing that this hideous thing is going to pass. And I wrote a song during a time of my own despair. I wrote a song called Faith. And this one I'd like to sing for you now. <coughs> And this is faith in impermanence. The sky is gray against the landscape of your heart. It's been that way for far too long. You toss and turn, waiting for a shift to come. You wonder where.
So we hold on, and the thing does pass. Maybe teach that to our young people. Hold on, and the pain will pass. And more of seeing impermanence and knowing that this difficult thing will pass, this difficult <coughs> mind state will pass, it becomes possible after a while to actually be in the difficult place with some interest, wondering and some curiosity, what is this thing really like? How does it feel in the body? Where is it? Does it come and go? What are the thoughts that are moving it forward? And what is it teaching me? And there even can be something sacred in it. I want to share a poem that I've heard a lot, and you may have too, but it's just one of those great ones that just bears repetition. It's The Guest House by Rumi. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Can you imagine that? shame and malice and a house full of sorrows and laughingly at the door inviting them in. That's a goal. <laughs> wow. So yeah, so the, the, that's a great practice, remembering impermanence. Either this thing will pass or even investigating the thing with some you know, interest, even curiosity. This is Rilke. Someday, emerging at last from the violent insight, let me sing out jubilation and praise to assenting angels. Let not even one of the clearly struck hammers of my heart fail to sound because of a slack, a doubtful, or a broken string. Let my joyfully streaming face make me more radiant. Let my hidden weeping arise and blossom. How dear you will be to me then, you nights of anguish. Why didn't I kneel more deeply to accept you, inconsolable sisters, and surrendering lose myself in your loosened hair? How we squander our hours of pain how we gaze beyond them into the bitter duration to see if they have an end, though they are really our winter-enduring foliage, our dark evergreen, one season in our inner year. Wow, that much compassion for ourselves and, and for the pain of others, which brings me to the next practice, which is kindness. So we have these 
the awareness of the present moment, gratitude, remembrance of impermanence, and then here we are all together in this crazy, crazy changing world with all our sorrows as well as our joys. And having felt into our own sorrows, knowing that every one of us has them. And so then kindness, or as it's known in Buddhism, metta, loving kindness, <coughs> becomes a beautiful and important practice. Again, not small, as I have often thought it was, huge. The Dalai Lama says, my religion is kindness, huge. Maybe the most important thing, kindness. Naomi Shihab Nye, before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things, feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. When you held in your hand what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies there by the side of the road. You must see how this is you. He too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. Peter, I think we're near, nearing the running out of time. About five, five more if you want to take some questions. Five more, well I have, yeah. I brought way too much. <laughs> um, so we have five more minutes? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so then I, I, I want to do, at the back of your song sheet, um, we have two metta songs there on the back. Um, I, I, I'm going to offer this song to sing with you, um, and I'm going to keep beat on the djembe. I'm not a djembe player. If there's somebody here who is a djembe player who would like to play, please, please. Otherwise, I'm going to keep a beat, and it's got a nice sound. <laughs> okay, so this is, the metta, this is the practice that the Buddhists have been doing for 2,500 years, the, the, the intentional practice to keep kindness going. And it is written there, may you be happy, may you be safe, may you be healthy, may you be at ease. The way that they do it formally is first wishing kindness for oneself, then for a benefactor, someone who has cared for you, then a friend, then a neutral person, like a bank teller or a grocery clerk, someone you don't know but you see, then a difficult person, loving kindness for a difficult person, and then for all beings. So practicing this over and over again softens the heart and tends it toward kindness.
So I'm going to ask you to sing on the choruses, and they sound like this. May you be happy. May we 
gratitude, remembering impermanence, and loving kindness, some light that can be fished out during the tough times. Thank you so much, and blessings to you. With such great gratitude. Thank you so much. Oh, it's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, we do have a couple of minutes if, if um, some people would like to ask some questions. Of, of you. Uh, one question I have is, is where can we get more of you? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, are you married? <laughs> 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 oh, I love you too. <laughs> They're out there. I have one solo CD that I that I wrote with friends. Um, ten original songs based on a Buddhist list of qualities for a contented heart, and that's called Commentaries on Perfection of the Heart. I'm also in a band called Rebecca Riots, um, and we're playing at the Freight and Salvage in Berkeley. If you feel like driving over the bridge at the end of May, I have some cards out there. Um, and it's the Buddhist stuff, and it's also lefty political stuff. <laughs> um, and um, I guess, oh, I'm going to start leading a Dharma music singing circle at Spirit Rock um, uh, on Wednesday nights, uh, starting on August 12th. And I'm also a retreat manager, and I'm going to be one of the managers for the GBLT retreat in the fall, so come to that, and I'll be your manager, and I'll take good care of you. <laughs> <laughs> so those are some ways that maybe we could see each other again. And it looked like you had an email list out there. Yes, well, I have so. an email list, and yeah. Do you have a web page somewhere? Yeah, I have a website. Thanks, evedecker.com. Okay. Yeah. We just have a minute or two for it. Your, your presentation reminds me, I, I just read Oliver Sacks' book on musical theory about um, brain states and music, that with new brain imaging, they just, you know, how language happens in one place and, you know, emotions in another, and music happens everywhere in the brain, hmm. from the reptilian all the way up. It's, it's fascinating. That is fascinating. Yeah. That's so cool. I need to read that book, because I don't know about the research, I just feel it. Yeah, right. Yeah. About it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. Can we sing the second? Um, yeah, song? let's sing the Beatles Nothing you can do but you can learn how to be inside. 
announcements at this point. Who's the host? Host. Oh, I'm, I'm Bill, I'm your host today, and uh, as always, we have tea and snacks and a gift from the people who were at the retreat yesterday. We also have some um, carbonated fruit beverages, which would be perfect for today, nice and cold, and they're out there too. Um, I'll be coming around with a donut bowl, and the suggested donation is five to eight dollars, and just remember that your contributions help fund uh, the expenses for this sangha. Um, if, you're, if you're new and you'd like to be in our directory or uh, subscribe to our newsletter, there's sign-up sheets just on the table outside there. And um, also, if you don't have any plans for lunch, uh, usually around 12.30, a group gathers informally and, and heads out to a neighborhood place, so you can feel free to join in. And I forgot to mention, it, of course, if you uh, have some tea, wash out your tea table. Is this anybody's first or second time or returning after a while? <coughs> and um, next week is Howard. Right? Yeah. Next week is open discussion. We tap into the wisdom of our Sangha and share our journeys together, Eve. My goodness. Wow. In the spirit of permanence, you are on our permanent list. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's fabulous. <laughs> Other announcements? Yes. Uh, I come to you as a messenger from Clint Sider. Back by popular demand is the annual GBF hike to Chimney Rock. Um, this is, uh, he invites you, uh, as he has in years past, to come join us in a short but quite spectacular hike and picnic to Chimney Rock in Point Reyes uh, on Saturday, April 25th. It's ne next Saturday. Uh, it will, uh, well, let me just do the details here. Chimney Rock is, a fam is famous among nature lovers for its springtime displays of wildflowers, uh, though Clint doesn't guarantee there'll be any living ones that will be there. <laughs> uh, it's been a good year for those, so it pro they probably will. Drake's Bay is on one side and the Pacific Ocean on the other. Dramatic backgrounds. Uh, we uh, might also visit Point Reyes Lighthouse. Uh, the hike is short, about a mile each way, and it's a level. Uh, I've done it myself, so it's it's an easy, very easy one. Uh, but the drive is uh, the drive up there is not short. Uh, while beautiful, um, be prepared for an off-road <coughs> excursion. Uh, this will be a potluck picnic, so please bring a dish to share with others. We will be carpooling from the GPF Center here, right here at 37 Bartlett Street at 9 a.m. <coughs> on Saturday <coughs> next. Bring warm clothing. It does sometimes, even on a warm day like this, get cold and windy out there. Uh, so bring, bring something warm, a blanket and some sunblock, some food, some picnic food to share, rain cancels. And there's there are, there are handouts outside to take with you. <coughs> I wonder if anybody wanted to talk about, I, I wasn't able to make it yesterday, but yesterday was the all-day retreat, right? Anyone from there want to say a couple words? Or? Oh, it was wonderful. Uh, um, one of my plan to combine it together, we had four meditation sessions and um, some discussions. And um, one, one vivid image we had for walking meditation, and some of us were out there, and the, the pure cinematic value of because they were guys walking back and forth in here and you and looking through the story in secret was this 
qualified very mindfully. But it was <laughs> both reverent and somehow wonderfully comic. Mindfully, mindfully walked past the door, but I don't know. It was, it was a good. truth of this practice. May all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion and live believing in the equality of all that lives. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.